Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Tuesday afternoon, glad to have you along for the ride on this 7th of July. The C Spire text line is open. That number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. If you're ready for a better phone, C Spire is here to help. Get up to $700 off top smartphones online when you trade in a device and add a new line, plus find options like free same-day delivery and curbside pickup in select locations. Shop now at cspire.com. Only two of us today. Brian Haydad not feeling well and is taking the day off, and so it is Michael Borky and me. Good afternoon, Michael Borky. Yeah, and I'm trying to take a little inside baseball here, trying to take Haydad's picture off of the stream, and it keeps popping back up anyway. So we may just have to deal with a black screen where Haydad was supposed to be. Man, that's fine. That's fine. I'll put like a a red circle with a line through it or something. Oh, can you do clip art on the uh, on the screen like that? <laughs> See, I know how to do that, and and I can make it to where it's just the two of us. But for some reason, it just has a mind of its own and goes back to the three. I mean, I guess I know like it's. Again, it's got a mind of its own and knows what it's supposed to do, but I'm telling it to do something else, and it won't do it. It's like your kid or your dog. Now, I have one dog that listens to me very well, and I have another mm. dog that doesn't have the mental capacity to listen to anyone ever. So, <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, what's up? Oh, man. Uh, how about this breaking news out of the gate? Steve Sarkeesian had heart surgery. He's going to be okay. But Alabama just drops that on us right before the show starts that, hey, our offensive coordinator had heart surgery. He's going to be okay, though. Whoa. Bama Online, uh, which is their 24-7 sports site, offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian had successful heart surgery last week. Quote, he needed a procedure, uh, procedure to correct a congenital cardiovascular anomaly before it became an issue, he is back home in Tuscaloosa and is expected to make a full recovery. So good news, but man, I can't imagine it, like his family or the people that helped him in the process that, that it takes and what they went through compared to just a regular heart surgery, if that's a thing. With coronavirus, I mean, how many different protocols had to be taken before anybody got in the room with him or before he got there and all the testing he had to go through? And then, I mean, can he even have visitors right now? I I know somebody that had a baby recently, and he could not see the child until it came home. Imagine that. So it probably made this a lot harder than it usually would have been. 
Yeah, I know somebody who was in the hospital recently and had a, a procedure done, and one visitor, well, actually, so so one person with him in the emergency room, and then when he got checked into a room, nobody. Like, you're, you're all by yourself. And I mean, to me, that's the, the hardest thing with the, the COVID stuff that we're dealing with and, and kind of this new reality is you, you get, when you're in the hospital, that's when you need somebody there with you to, to kind of hold your hand and keep you company and encourage you and tell you it's going to be okay. And that didn't, um, doesn't exist for most people. There, there are a few exceptions that are made, you know, in the, in the event that, you know, you've got somebody in the hospital that's a fall risk or, or really uh, needs kind of a caretaker that, that's there. Uh, but those exceptions are few and far between, and, and I think there are a lot of layers to uh, to which you've got to go to get that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think when somebody gets admitted, they get tested for COVID-19 and they figure out what they're dealing with, and you've got doctors and nurses that are all going to great lengths to, uh, to keep patients healthy. Uh, I would assume that... It's a relatively normal hospital experience, other than just Sark probably couldn't have anybody there with him. Yeah, I I couldn't imagine like somebody. Oh, it's a routine heart procedure. Well, what do you mean routine? A doctor's going to have a knife like at my heart. There's nothing routine about that. Let somebody in here with me. Couldn't imagine being told no. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of way around that right now. It's pretty amazing what they do. I mean, I obviously don't know the details of that, but a family member of mine uh, had a a brain tumor, and they have since survived. It was one that they were able to remove. But a doctor literally removed part of her skull, hand-cut a tumor off of her brain, put the skull back on, sealed her up. Now she's good to go living a happy and full life. Could you? I mean, think about just a human did that. And I'm over here babbling on in front of a microphone for a few hours a day yeah <laughs> glad we were able to do something meaningful with yeah. our lives uh you want to be part of the conversation you can on the ceasefire text line again at 601-879-4395 no hey dad today this episode may win a marconi award well played king biscuit says um I've missed the show since last Thursday. A brief comment on your opinion of <laughs> Sleazebo Fisher getting busted. You know what my favorite thing that has happened as it relates to Texas A&M, NCAA probation, and Jimbo Fisher? There is a, uh, there's a guy that used to be in the Ole Miss recruiting office. His name's uh, Brennan Chapman. Good dude. And I've known Brennan for a while, Borky. I think you've known him maybe even since college. And is no longer affiliated with it. So Pat Forty, of all people, tweets, off the radar investigation leads to six months probation and show cause for Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. <laughs> Brennan tweeted in response to that, off the record means... I wasn't tipped off by the NCAA the week before National Signing Day. <laughs> I thought that was pretty well played. That's pretty good. He went after Sankey, too, recently. Oh, really? Yeah. 
about uh, how that should have led to a suspension because apparently they on staff were told that that would directly lead to a suspension. And Sankey's reply was, yes, but that doesn't mean games. Hmm. When you say suspended, you mean games, but anyway, I digress. Yeah, okay, so the the question is, what do you think about Texas A&M and, and Jimbo? I, you know, here's the deal, and King Biscuit, I know what you said a second ago. My, my thought is this. Number one, well, it's kind of nice to see somebody that falls into a category that is not the same as Ole Miss or Mississippi State or Arkansas or Kentucky or Vanderbilt get in trouble. But then, in reality, man, what are we doing? They they um, they practiced longer than they were supposed to and didn't report it. And Jimbo had contact with a recruit that was not old enough to have had contact with. Like the 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 period wasn't open for him to communicate. What it was before the start of his junior year, I, I think that was the wording. I, I, I for, forgive me for not remembering exactly what it was, but it was one of those you got to be a junior before you can talk, or you got to finish the fall semester of your junior year. So whatever those restrictions are, he violated it. Here's where I'm coming from. We got ba- basketball coaches caught on wiretaps in pay-for-play schemes caught by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They're still coaching. We got basketball coaches overseeing players where assist an assistant coach has been arrested and has had to go to prison. Still coaching. Well, that's just two examples from the SEC. We got Sean Miller still coaching at Arizona. We got Bill Self still going strong at Kansas. We got North Carolina offering made-up classes to um, students and student-athletes alike that don't even exist. Like, they're just completely made up. And none of those people have gotten in trouble. But Jimbo, and and I, I get what you're saying, sleazebo, whatever. I mean, I think in the current landscape of the SEC, Texas A&M and Georgia are doing it at a different level than even Alabama and anybody else. You know my stance on this. Everybody's doing it. Some are driving 120 in a 70. But there's some that drive 120 in a 70. It doesn't matter. We just ignore them anyway. But the the, the point I'm making, the larger point I'm making in all of this is we got folks going to prison, and we can argue about whether they should be or not, that haven't been punished by the NCAA. But Texas A&M had one practice or one hour a week more than they were supposed to in practice time that they didn't report. And Jimbo talked to a kid on the phone that was 16 and a half instead of 17 years old. You get what I'm saying? And and so they're going to NCAA prison for that. The whole thing's stupid. Ever since I was a young boy, I played the silver ball. From Soho down to Brighton, I must have played them all. But I ain't seen nothing like him in any amusement hall. That damn dumb black kid. 
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday. Richard Cross and Michael Borky. Brian Haydad is off today. Thanks for being with us. I'm just seeing this story. Uh, Mike in Oxford sent us a link. Or not a link, but uh, sent us a message that said, um, speaking of Vanderbilt, I think I just randomly mentioned them in my list of teams that I was talking about a second ago. Didn't they just abolish their sports information department? I had not seen that story. Borky, you brought it to my attention after Mike and found the story on the Tennessean. So yesterday, Vanderbilt sent emails to Athletics Communications Department employees stating that the department was being absorbed by the university and that some key positions were being eliminated. Andy Boggs, who is a friend of mine, is quoted in the story. He says he's a longtime assistant director for athletics communications. He oversaw men's basketball and golf. Like Jerry Stackhouse, men's basketball. That's what Andy Boggs did. Was laid off as part of the new structure. He said, I enjoyed my 13 years at Vanderbilt. Great place to be and work with great coaches and great student athletes. Love working with the media every day. I'm sorry to have to leave under these circumstances, but there's bigger and better things for me. I'm ready to go get them. Again, Andy's a great guy. I'm happy for wherever he's headed. But before the end of the day yesterday, his email had already been disconnected and they had removed his bio from the website. The the guy that was over football for a long time, and he was kind of goofy, accepted a, a buyout in June. So they got rid of him. And they've got a few people that are still kind of overseeing some sports. Borky, do you remember when Vanderbilt made waves, I don't know, a decade or so ago, when they said they weren't going to have an athletics director? Mm-hmm. And, and people kind of laughed at him about it. It was, it was maybe a little overstated. But David Williams, who was a professor in the law school and, you know, was in the administration side of things, became like the vice chancellor for intercollegiate athletics, which is a title that other schools have used as well. But it wasn't the traditional athletics director over the athletics department structure. Man, Vanderbilt's got a weird setup. I, I feel like, you know, maybe, maybe Vanderbilt, you know, in terms of the 14 schools of the SEC is the smartest guy in the room. But it feels like they have to go out of their way to try and prove that they're the smartest guy in the room. Like this way, our way is going to be better. And I'm here to tell you, Vanderbilt, in terms of administratively and the way they do things and the way they communicate with people, they're not the smartest guy in the room (laughs) in comparison to the other 13 schools in the SEC. It's either I'm just telling you. It's either that or they simply just don't care about being competitive anymore. Because if you're a place like Vanderbilt, right, isn't your sports information department more valuable than that of Alabama? Because Alabama sells itself, right? They win games. You don't need an SID there because media is still going to cover Alabama like crazy, and because that's who they are, and they win. But if you're Vanderbilt, and you're not in a small market by any means, but they're basically like a small market team. Nobody really cares about Vanderbilt. They're last in attendance in the SEC on an annual basis. Their facilities are dated. They don't win a whole lot. 
So wouldn't you think that your sports information people are more vital to your operation to spread your message and to come up with new creative ideas to promote your brand because of the disadvantages that are naturally tied with you? That This move to me and things that they've done with not even trying to get involved in the new stadium deal that Nashville's building, uh, not upgrading their facilities at all, dissolving their sports information department, not having an athletic director. They don't really care about competing. Everything you said makes sense. It's just not true at Vanderbilt. It should be. That that should be the approach, Borky. We're going to work harder. We're going to work smarter. We're going to work better to try and get more coverage in a multi- franchise pro sports town when we've got a small alumni base and people generally don't care about us. Instead, their people were lazy and hard to deal with. Generally speaking. They've actually had some really good people, really good people, that have come through Vanderbilt in that particular department. And you know what they've done? See you. They've left. Like Arkansas's football media relations guy used to be the baseball guy at Vanderbilt. He was outstanding. They get two or three other people that used to be at Vanderbilt who went places where they could, you know, operate in a real athletics department. I don't understand. I I, I just I don't get it with Vanderbilt. I, I I don't understand because they've they've shown. Vanderbilt has shown that when you invest in a program, baseball being the example, when you invest and commit, you can be excellent. Because Vanderbilt has something to sell that nobody else in the SEC has to sell. They get to sell themselves as the Stanford of the SEC as the Duke of the SEC. There's no reason whatsoever that Vanderbilt can't have some fraction of the success that Stanford has had. Now, I think Stanford plays in an easier conference than Vanderbilt does, and so I would never say, well, Vanderbilt can consistently get to the place that Stanford is in the Pac-12. I think that's a little bit of a reach, But there's no reason that with a legitimate commitment, Vanderbilt couldn't be a seven to eight win football program a year. And they've done it without that commitment in spurts anyway. Yeah. They loosened the restrictions up a little bit on James Franklin and allowed him to bring some some guys in that could make a difference that otherwise they couldn't traditionally get into school at Vanderbilt. And now they're they're going to be incredibly shy about doing that going forward because James Franklin didn't do a great job with some character decisions. Vanderbilt said, "Yeah, we'll give you a little more leeway, but you still got to keep guys in line." And it's been like rape investigations and sexual assault allegations, you know, on and off for the last. Eight years? I think James Franklin was, well, I don't want to be accused of character assassination, but I think you can read between the lines and get what I'm saying. 
So, yeah, you you got to be willing to take some chances or allow a football coach to take some chances. you got to get the right coach. you got to make a commitment in terms of facilities. you got to be willing to spend money. Vanderbilt's got a massive endowment. Fundraising's never been an issue for Vanderbilt. The problem is Vanderbilt proper, Vanderbilt the university, has made fundraising for Vanderbilt in a- athletics next to impossible because they don't allow any commingling of of donors. Like if you're an athletics fundraiser at Vanderbilt, you're not allowed to talk to somebody who might be worth $3 billion and has only previously given money to the School of Economics or to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital or or whatever it is. You, You can't say to that person, you've been really generous in a lot of different areas. Do you have an interest at all in athletics? That, that conversation can't happen, and the people on the university side, like on the academic fundraising side, they're not going to ask on behalf of athletics. And and that's been an issue there. And how do you ever expect to compete in the SEC? And maybe they just no, like the check and that's it. Or, or I had somebody ask me today, and it, it was just in a group message talking about it, and they said, is this Vanderbilt – slowly preparing themselves to leave the SEC. And my first answer was, oh, heck no, that check is too big. But they're not trying. So could that be possible? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that athletics really matters. I mean, you've got diehard Vanderbilt basketball fans and a a rich legacy tradition of Vanderbilt basketball. You have a recent baseball legacy and that's it and, and, men's and that'll golf program when been they pretty good. give everybody full scholarships in baseball if they ever do but when that does Vanderbilt's no longer the best program in the country yeah I mean if the if the playing field gets leveled then it changes sure um I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily Vanderbilt preparing to back out of the SEC. I don't really see that. I just think Vanderbilt fancies itself far more academic institution than athletics power. And, and, and that's okay. But it does kind of feel like you're, you're kind of stealing also. Weird setup on West End. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday afternoon. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau phone line for the very first time today. You can check out the Farm Bureau website, favorites.com. Go there to get a quote, your chance to save money when you bundle coverage. So when we tell you to go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Another guy that feels like he's part of the home team, Deuce McAllister. Played at uh, Morton and then at Ole Miss and then uh, became the all-time leading rusher for the New Orleans Saints, and he is the color analyst on the radio for the uh, Saints broadcast. Deuce, what's up, man? It's been a while. Uh, it's been a while, man. Nothing much. Uh, hopefully everybody is staying safe as possible in these trying and different times that we're we're living in. Is, is 10 years and $450 million good? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Definitely not bad, I can tell you that. Definitely not bad. I, I think the biggest thing is the devil is in the detail of this contract. And so we know um, a few pieces have been released, but 
you really want to get into the nitty gritty of this uh, contract, and 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 actually, it is a ten year extension. It is right. an actual total contract of twelve years. And I, I saw a little bit of today, if I'm not mistaken, I think they only added maybe three hundred thousand or less of a cap hit to this year's contract. How about that? So for a cap hit of this year for the team, it's less than 300000 to be able to do that extension. Well, and, and I had heard some people say that, I don't know if backloaded is the right way to describe it, but the the point in, in doing that and making some of this where they could really figure out some of the finances down the line was that it was going to allow them to sign some of these other players that they need to get under long-term deals in the, the pretty near future as well. Well, one, one, one guy being a Mississippi guy. That's right, Chris uh, who Jones, wanting, who, who wants who, to get who, paid who, who, big. Who, who wants to be paid like uh, Aaron Donald, um, you know, is one of the premier uh, defensive tackle. And so it'll be interesting to see. If, if, if I'm Chris, I, I stick to my guns because I do believe that he is a top five defensive tackle. And, you know, he would be obviously the second purser person interior wise to be able to hit the mark that he's looking for and that's uh uh in the 20 million dollar range if i'm chris i stick to my guns i mean because it's the question is not if they can pay him they can definitely pay him the question is how can they manipulate their cap their cap space to be able to do it and you know whether that's a short term or whether that's something they want to do long term that that, that's going to be the question that's really for any team as they kind of can build that roster what do they want to commit to a certain position? What do they want to commit to a certain player? And, you know, do we think we can get more from another guy uh, that maybe we think may not be on his, his level talent-wise, but he gives us a little more flexibility from a long-term standpoint. Uh, but when you just look at that period contract, I don't know if it's necessarily back back-loaded in a sense, but we do know that the first two, the next two years are basically years that he – had already from his rookie deal. Now he got right. signing bonus money and, and and guarantee money, which he previously didn't have. Uh, that's added to that, so it'll be just interesting to see how they structured that overall deal. And then you know when you talk about signing something that long, how does the TV contract impact it? How does it impact with the salary cap? Because apparently there is no mechanism tied to uh, a percentage of cap. So, you know, that that's always the question mark when you talk about NFL contracts. How much of the cap is he allocating uh, to that certain position or that certain player? Deuce, I heard Lewis Riddick talking uh, this morning. Uh, you're talking about a guy that's got a bunch of front office experience, really smart, bright guy in the way that I think he kind of brings his analysis to ESPN. And he said there's no way that, that Mahomes plays out this entire deal. It will absolutely no. get redone five years or so down the line. And 2025 is the time to really look for because that's when the next and I didn't understand all of this, but the the next kind of um, uh, recalibration of the cap will will go into place and it'll actually start a couple of years in advance of that. Does that make sense? Am I saying that right? Yeah, it's really um, once those TV deals kick in, and so we're dealing okay. with right now. You will you will deal with because next year's cap does go down just because of projection. Um, funds that will be available losses because of COVID. So for the NFL, what they're going to do, they're going to spread it out. They'll spread that out instead of just taking that over one year. So they may take a decrease in salary without adding anything in over the next three years or four years. And that's really probably what Lewis 
was uh, referencing to, because then you'll have a clear picture of not only for available funds, but increases to that salary cap. And so uh, I agree with him. He won't play that complete 12-year deal out. Either he's going to get really, really better, which is hard to believe, or the team is going to want to revisit that deal. Sure. Yeah, but if he plays at a high level, I mean, after a team like Kansas City commits and and says, okay, we're going to make you the highest paid professional athlete in American sports history, and we're going to put this 10-year deal in place, do they know going into this that if he continues to play at a high level for the next four or five years, they're going to need to be proactive in addressing and paying him more? Or can they in good conscience say, look, and we gave you everything. We gave you the kitchen sink. Now go play out the deal. And he's going to end up looking like the bad guy in terms of a holdout. How many Super Bowl appearances are included in the next four or five years? That's, that's all that matters, question. right? Yeah, that, 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 that's the biggest okay. question. I mean, at this point, uh, not necessarily did you win it, but did you appear in a Super Bowl? And for them, not, you know, obviously having that success uh, last year, it was, it was well worth it. And, and here's the problem when you look at it the longer they waited for him, the more expensive he was going to become, <laughs> kind of like the, the, the situation, kind of like the situation in Dallas with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Yeah. You know, if, if, if Dak continues to produce, it's not going to get any cheaper. And, and 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 people will argue with it and say, well, you know, he's not worth that amount. That is the market for a quarterback, particularly when he's a young quarterback when he hits the market. You know, and whether he's worth that amount of money, that's a different story. But he's available. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. And so, you know, all, all you need is one team to fall in love with you. You don't need all all 32 teams to love you as a quarterback. You just need one to love you. Deuce McAllister on your radio college, uh, or excuse me, uh, former college All-American at Ole Miss and uh, all-time leading rusher in Saints history. He is the uh, color analyst on the uh, Saints radio broadcast. What are you hearing, man? I mean, what what's the attitude in terms of – players and camp and do they feel comfortable coming back is it going to happen are we going to be playing in empty stadiums what's the what's the rumor mill like in and around new orleans just take it one day at a time because to be honest my my honest hearts of hearts i would be highly surprised if we start on time and if you know i definitely don't think that you're going to have a full stadium you know, and whether it's 30,000 or 40,000 in that stadium, I think they're going to try to, you know, make it an atmosphere as best as possible. But, you know, I think it's really going to come down to a team by team or city by city situation as well. Even when you think of, think of it in that terms, I mean, because, hey, look, you know, in some, some places they don't have the issues uh, that other cities or states are having. And so, um, you know, you can look for a couple things probably for sure to happen. You, you're going to have to have some type of, whether it's some type of scan to take temperature, you know, and you, you have to have some mask on or, you know, you have to, if you're with this family, you can only be so close. All of those things are probably in the consideration uh, because the biggest thing is you can't put players in a bubble but from a fan perspective, how can we keep them protected as best as possible? And I can tell you, the NFL, they have scenarios, but they don't have all the answers. I mean, they they, they, they will they may portray it that way, but there's no way that they can tell you that, that we know for certain this is how it's going to be. They have different scenarios that they have uh, in mind that they can use, but that, that 
it's 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 really just a day by day situation. Deuce, I've I've heard people say, okay, Major League Baseball, yeah, I don't know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. The NBA, yeah, they're going to try, but the NFL, one way or another, by gosh, they are going to play. Do you believe that? Sixteen billion. Okay, there's the answer, right? Those TV deals, sixteen billion. <laughs> and for those that don't know what I'm referencing, that's 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 revenue. That's revenue for the NFL annually. So, can you walk away from that? Obviously, you can't. But let me ask you this: because of how successful the NFL has been, are they are they equipped to take a little bit more of a hit than some other leagues? Maybe they can say, no doubt about it. "We can't uh, do no we can't do fans for a year." No, no doubt about it. They are equipped to be able to take it just because they have some of the resources that other leagues, particularly let's just NCA, they don't have it. You know, people wonder why the NBA mm-hmm. is playing the this play-in type of deal. Well, it, it ties back to the to the TV contract. It, it, they have to be able to play uh, uh, a number of games to, to be able to hit the TV requirements. So the NFL, they haven't even stepped into that that realm yet, but they're trying to figure out, all right, how can we make this safe? How can we go forward with, with playing this game? But at the same time, you're talking about a whole bunch of revenue not being able to generate. So you you, you look out there at Dallas, you, you think about that debt service that has to be played, uh, that has to be paid on Jerry's world. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he he's not able to host some of those other things. How can we make it up? You know, how can we figure out a way to make it up? And even if it's just through pure Revenue with TV, that that that's a way to be able to save it. But you still have to be able to play some of those games. Deuce, you're the best. Thank you, man. All right, no problem. Thank you, Richard. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross and Michael Borky with you. Shout out to my man Tavares. Appreciate you. Thank you. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395 if you want to be part of the conversation this afternoon. Here you go. Here's, here's what's happening on the ceasefire text line. Going back to the Vanderbilt story, they are disbanding their media relations department, their athletics communications department. Uh... King Biscuit, all they care about is baseball. Maybe they can go independent or join another conference just in baseball. I was thinking about that, but part of the the sex appeal, if you will, of Vanderbilt baseball is the fact that they're doing it in the SEC. They're playing in the best baseball league in America. And you can say, well, they could schedule, you know, big time as an independent. They could, but SEC schools only got four weekends available in the first four weekends of the year. So yeah, I mean, I guess they could assuming the conference didn't blackball them. They could host Ole Miss in week one, go to LSU in week two, go to Florida in week three, and host Mississippi State in week four. Well, that's that's a good start. Now what are you going to do? Maybe a couple of Pac-12 teams mixed in. But, I mean, for the rest of the year, everybody else is playing people too. They're conference opponents. 
Don't think the SEC would blackball Vanderbilt, right? They'd probably send him a nice thank you letter. Just opens up a spot. We can go get Oklahoma now. Or North Carolina. Yeah. Can't get Oklahoma without Oklahoma State. You don't think so? If the SEC, Mm -hmm. for some reason, extended an offer today, they wouldn't go separate. No, I think there's a state law that they have to be Oh, wow. Dude, don't don't cross your eyes and like how could that be possible? I mean, no, you know I, how I know the I, the IHL possible, runs but, the state of Mississippi. But in the the back of my head, I, I kept thinking, well, what happens if like one of them got the death penalty or something and got kicked yeah, out of the know. Big Twelve? I mean, what do you do? Make the other one leave too? Maybe I made that up about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I do think that's the case in Virginia. Maybe. And, and I remember hearing people say Virginia, Virginia Tech. Those are two... Maybe, 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 Borky. Maybe. You got 13 schools in the SEC that say, you know what, let's figure out life with an unbalanced schedule. Our cut to the pie just got bigger. <laughs> True. And how much bigger would replacing, just as a hypothetical, Vanderbilt with North Carolina, how much bigger would it make None. that slice? None. Hmm. Not at all. I mean, you'd be an additional four million bucks a school from what they're getting right now. I think they'd figure out the whole unbalanced schedule deal. Unless they were ready to make a move to add not just one more, but three more. Yeah, go to 16. You go to 16. If they're not tied together, get Oklahoma, North Carolina, and Virginia or Virginia Tech, and boom, you've got a super conference. Yeah, you've got big markets. You've got good places to go. I mean, I, I've never been to to Blacksburg, but I've been to Charlottesville, and it's a very SEC town. Very nice, like it. It feels like you're in an SEC town while you're there. They've got everything, and the football program's getting better too. It is good basketball, good baseball, good town, big markets in the state. It's borderline northeast. Yeah, getting there. You, you I, I'm not sure that UVA as a school fancies itself SEC. I, I think they probably view the ACC as a cut above academically. I'm sure it is. It's also um, a cut above in revenue, but, you know. Sure. Uh, Vanderbilt has run college baseball for the past six years. I agree. Uh, Vanderbilt can sell the Whistler, best Whistler in the SEC. Jerry and Hamilton suggest that uh, they make the Whistler the information director going forward. <laughs> Thomas and Greenwood wants to know if we can just blame the Vandy Whistler. Matt and Newsite says, let them leave. That means no more Whistler. Bob and Nittawamba might be on to something. He says, maybe Vanderbilt's ahead of the pack. There will be a lot of schools cutting costs before this COVID-19 deal plays out. Uh, somebody says, Vanderbilt is the Bryson DeChambeau of the SEC. Quinn pointed out that um, Vanderbilt reminds him of Tulane. Not a lot of good happens when you devalue your sports programs. And imagine what, I said this in reply, what Tulane could be if they had stayed in the SEC. And then committed to athletics, but 
uptown New Orleans with big-time college sports, that would have been a destination college for everybody. Hmm. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross and Michael Borky on this Tuesday. Brian Haydad is off, not feeling well today. He is planning to rejoin us tomorrow. You can be part of the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. That is the number, 601-879-4395. Upgrade your Anywhere office with Microsoft Teams, included with Microsoft 365 from C Spire Business. Their experts can equip your organization to chat, meet, call, and collaborate from anywhere on one secure, easy-to-use platform. When you order from C Spire Business, they're also going to provide you dedicated 24-7 support to make sure you get the most from Microsoft 365 and help scale your services as your business needs change. Find the right plan for you, cspire.com slash business. All right, so what's the uh, DeChambeau juicing story? Yeah, there's people that have brought the accusation that he got so big and he's hitting the ball so far with a little help from his friends, if you will. Mm-hmm. And like anybody reputable claiming that? No, there's. it's not like ESPN reporting the allegations, but there's been conversation about it. So it's like just people generally looking at him going, hey, there's no way he got that big that fast. He's juicing. Pretty much, yeah. And now Brooks Kepka has gotten into the fray. Brooks Kepka, who he and Bryson have kind of had. Who, by the way, is that it's a ball through the years? Yeah, he's a pretty big guy himself. Um, just tweeted a gif. That's all he did. But today, a lot of people are talking about these uh, accusations, and Brooks Kepka decided to tweet a gif of uh, the show Eastbound and Down after uh, Kenny Powers was accused of doing steroids, and it was true, and he like attacks a cameraman and throws the camera down, and Brooks tweeted that gift today. Hmm. <laughs> Brooks isn't afraid of anybody, is he? No, and whatever the Irish Times is, I honestly have no idea what that is. It appears to be a newspaper, uh, but I'm looking at probably in Ireland. Um, ran a column today of of a guy basically saying, "Yeah, Dublin, Ireland." Um, DeChambeau's transformation raises questions, but who will ask them? And he proceeds to ask those questions. So that's kind of where it started. A golf writer in uh, Dublin, Ireland. So will anybody ask DeChambeau this week in uh, Nearfield Village, Ohio? Hey, stories out there about uh, the possibility of you juicing to uh, get this weight. Dwight Care James comment? of NBC Sports also wrote, Bryson DeChambeau is huge. Why isn't anyone asking the obvious question? Yeah, pretty pretty darn big. But not everybody that... Puts on weight, use steroids to get there. Right, and it's been a few months, and apparently he worked out like a psychopath, and he's not that big. I mean, he's big. He's much bigger. But people are talking about him like he's 
college Barry Bonds to home run chase Barry Bonds. He didn't get that much bigger. He just bulked up some. Yeah, I mean, he put 20 pounds on in the offseason. Like between, you know, the the wraparound, the end of the year, and kind of the start of the California swing. And then he added another 20 pounds or 30 pounds or whatever during the quarantine. I mean, I could, not the same way he did it, but I could put 20 pounds on in a few months. Yeah, but he's eating 3,500 to 4,000 calories, including seven protein shakes a day. And when he's not playing golf, he's working out three times a day. So it's not insurmountable that he gained that kind of weight. I think the, those allegations are kind of kind of silly. But the Kepka angle of this is so... It, it's perfect to me. Because Bryson DeChambeau, kind of on his own, people think he's great for golf. Like Cowherd had a long... I think his opening monologue yesterday just on why Bryson DeChambeau is great for golf because he's edgy. And I don't buy that. I don't think a spoiled, uh, weird hat-wearing brat is good for golf. A rivalry, though, is very good for golf, especially when it feels like DeChambeau's here to stay with the way he's playing right now. And Kepka's been at the top of the game for, I mean, what, three years now? Those two guys having beef is good for the game. DeChambeau by himself just existing is not good for the game because stuck-up dude does not attract viewers. This Oh, I think the way he plays attracts viewers, though. Yeah, he does hit bombs, but he's, he's just... He doesn't do it for me the way a rivalry between the two of them coming down the stretch in a major, knowing they hate each other and they've taken jabs at each other and they've even had a public confrontation against each other and they're both in contention down the stretch. That's where you get me. Well, that's Jim Gallagher Jr., what he thinks uh, coming up in a little while. He will join us, Jim, from the uh, Golf Channel and uh, Mississippian great guy. Fantastic guy. We'll talk some golf with him, what we've seen uh, just how impressed has he been with Bryce and DeChambeau, and what does he expect to see over the uh, next couple of weeks at uh, at Muirfield up in Ohio as they'll play uh, consecutive weeks in that spot? Uh, your poll question today, is it actually up? Is it there? I will put it up right now. This is a fascinating one to me. Michael Borky's question of the day on Twitter, Sports Talk M-I-S-S if you want to respond. Would you rather have football in the spring with full stadiums or in the fall with half-full stadiums? Simple. Full stadiums in the spring, half-full stadiums in the fall, which would it be for you? I know my answer. I am curious as to what yours is, Borky. I'm a creature of habit. I would prefer it just happen in the fall. But that's coming from someone that, because of my work schedule, I don't get to go to games very often. So the the tailgating, the going to games and being there doesn't resonate with me as it does with some people because Saturday is my only technical day off of the week in fall. Even though I'm spending all the time taking notes, I don't get to go to games very often. So I don't care. So I'd rather have it at the regular time. There is part of me that loves the idea of chaos, a a spring in which we have college football and college basketball and baseball all at some point going on at the same time, but that's not my vote. I'd rather have half-full stadiums in the fall, and 
I mean, there, there's a level of selfishness here. But I guess that's how I can vote. A half-full stadium still equals people in town. And people in town equals shopping, restaurants, hotels, etc. It's uh, it, And that means a lot. I can assure you that my wife would prefer to have half the number of people in town in the fall, which is still more than you have any other time of the year, to shop in her store. I can assure you that Scott at Proud Larry's would like to have, you know, half the people in town for football weekends because he's going to still fill up all his tables. And that that would be the case for all the restaurant owners and all the businesses on the square and up and down University Avenue and Jackson Avenue and North and South Lamar and whatnot. I bet it's the same way for the business owners in Starkville and Hattiesburg as well. You can either have half in terms of people in town during the fall and then a normal spring, or we can have nothing in the fall and then this unbelievably chaotic spring where everything's going at once, which would you prefer? Let's spread it out a little bit. Let's get a little love in September, October, November going into the holiday time when everybody goes home and there's nothing happening in these college towns anyway. So what you're saying is, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but if they don't play football this fall, there are businesses that won't make it to spring to see that boom, potentially. Uh, Yeah, I think that's reasonable. If it were just football season on its own, maybe you could survive. But it's football season on the heels of an entire summer in which there were no weddings to speak of and no orientations and no rust workshops and no cheerleader camps, baseball camps, football camps, basketball camps, and a bunch of baseball tournaments every weekend. And that's on the heels of six weeks of having been closed completely. So, yeah. Yeah, there's some that wouldn't make it. And the ones that did will be holding on by a thread. Jim Gallagher Jr. will join us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. We will talk off with him. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm Tuesday afternoon. We're going to see golf in Ohio for the next two weeks. It will not, however, be with fans. The original thought was that the uh, memorial in two weeks, Jack's tournament, was going to be the first with fans in attendance. The PGA Tour announced uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, that that was not going to be the case, that it would uh, continue to play the events without fans I uh, would anticipate an announcement one way or the other from uh, from Memphis uh, coming up in the next few days as uh, they are, what, three weeks away from the World Golf Championship event uh, there that benefits St. Jude at TPC Southwind. But talk golf and more, Jim Gallagher Jr. joins us more on the Farm Bureau phone line right now. You see him on the Golf Channel. Uh, you may remember watching him play as well. Jim, what's up, my man? Just hanging out with the grandbabies. I have had them for two weeks, mowing the yard, just the same old stuff. Played a little golf at Old Waverly last week, so that was fun. Just kind of getting ready to go back to work. I get to go back, I think, the 3M week, which is the uh, second to last week of July, and I'll be actually working 
uh, the World Golf Event in Memphis. So I'm looking forward to a couple of weeks back to work. Well, that certainly will be a uh, a nice change of pace. How, how long? So two weeks with the grandbabies. Are you going to send them home before long, or are you just saying, hey, as long as you want to stay, we're in? Well, I told them if they could mow the yard, you know, one's one, one's three. If they could mow the yard and, and <laughs> dump all the grass, they could stay another week. But, uh, no, it's been fun. But I'll tell you what, when you're 59, <laughs> I wish I had half that energy. I'd be in great shape. I guess your phone was broken. Uh, we need to get you a, uh, a ceasefire phone. You couldn't have called. I, I would have met you in West Point last week. <laughs> well, you know, I had them with me, and I took Tommy mm-hmm. out every day. So I don't think he wanted to play with a three-year-old. That, uh, <laughs> uh, he hits it really well, but his putting skills, he hasn't quite conquered that yet. But uh, he can. He loves to play, and I loved having him up there. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's really, really cool. So what do you make of this Bryson DeChambeau phenomena? The uh, the bulk, the added weight, the 350-yard average off the tee with accuracy leads the field last week in strokes gained off the tee, but also strokes gained on the greens. That's a pretty deadly combination. Uh, yeah, I think the most impressive thing, of course, the distance is obviously that his putting really has improved. I think that was something that kind of held him back at times. Uh, but to do what he's been able to do, like you said, the power and the accuracy, that's what you don't always see. I mean, Dustin Johnson, you would see it with, for the most part, was for a long hitter, was pretty accurate. Rory, for the most part, but to see the things he's done, just how good he's playing. I mean, everybody's talking about how much weight he's put on and all the other stuff. It's just how great he's playing, and, and, and that just shows you the momentum he's gone and the confidence he has. And if you think about the last hole he drove it up there in an area that couldn't have been 15 yards wide, but when you drive it yeah. that straight and you know, with that much power, that that's just phenomenal. It's, it's it's unlike anything I've seen in a long, long time. Feels like he's he's kind of in the zone right now, and it doesn't really matter where they're playing, what the tournament is. If you flip the TV on at any point over the course of the four days, you're going to see his name on the first couple of pages of the uh, of the leaderboard. Can that last indefinitely for him, or is this just a a bit of a hot spell, and he'll kind of fade away and come back and fade away and come back? You know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, you ride these streaks as long as you can. I, I think you made a great point. I mean, he went around Colonial, which is really tight, narrow, and and, uh, and and these golf courses aren't that they've played the last few weeks aren't really wide open golf courses where you would think, oh, you just kind of let it go. They're tree lined and they're tricky. Uh, but he's played phenomenal. You know, to keep it going for an extended uh, Tiger Woods did that. Uh, but he'd take weeks off. But I mean, you ride these waves and you go. And I mean, when you're playing with this much confidence, you just you expect to win. And I think that's what he's doing right now. I don't see why uh, he shouldn't continue to play well. How long that goes, it's, it's hard to say. But you know, enjoy the ride and, and keep going. I mean, when you're playing with confidence, there's nothing like it. Uh, you, know, you just don't always get on those kind of rides. But he has found something. He's worked really hard, and I think that's the thing that gets missed too. They talk about everything else, but he's worked hard to do this, and he's getting a lot uh, out of it. So the work he put in uh, during the time off has paid off for him. You ever have a stretch like that where, uh, not not necessarily where you won $2.1 million in four weeks, which is what DeChambeau has done over the, the four weeks since the tours restarted, but where you, you just felt like everything was clicking. You were hitting it off the tee, you liked where your short game was, you were making a bunch of putts, where it just, from a confidence standpoint, you were at your best. Yeah, I think 95, I mean, although 93 was my best year, I think I rode that 95 consistency-wise. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of blew it at, at Tucson, but then from Greensboro on for the next month or so, I played some phenomenal golf, and I did it in the fall uh, as, as well. So, I mean, yeah, you get on those streaks, they last, and I played a lot. 
it, you get on them four or five weeks in a row where you're just like, man, this is fun. And the hole looks huge. You see the shots you want to hit. You're executing. Your numbers are, are perfect. You know, a lot of times you get out there and you get in between clubs a lot and, and it kind of doesn't play for it. But you get on those rolls and, and uh, you just don't think you're doing anything wrong. It just doesn't happen that often. But, uh, you know, I was never able to do the things he did. You know, drive it. I drove it pretty straight for someone that was pretty long, but for what he's able to do, just hitting wedges into it, I mean, he takes any golf course and can just take over and dominate. It's been phenomenal to watch. Jim, Stewart and Laurel asked a question on the uh, the ceasefire text line. I'm going to modify it a little bit. Um, of the wins you had, I, I think five of them on tour, which one stands mm-hmm. out the most for you? You know, uh, Winning the tour championship, winning, you know, the, those beat the best 30 was phenomenal. But the probably the one that meant the most to me was winning in Memphis, uh, for Lindsey Gilmer, who was a patient at St. Jude. And, and I told her a month before that I was going to win the tournament for her. And, and, you know, I ended up doing it. So well, you called your shot? Yeah. I mean, I, I did. I mean, it's, it's go on and look at the story. It's a cool story. They did like a, I think it was a last time. One of the last times I played up there was like the 20 year anniversary, or 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 whenever we had done it. And I mean, she had leukemia. She was diagnosed at maybe nine or ten. She's from my hometown. She walked up on my porch, and and I just the parents go to church with us, and I was like, that's unbelievable. I can't even imagine. And so you know, she doesn't know golf from football at the time. And I said, you know what, baby, when I go to Memphis, and I know you're going to be a patient up there, I'm going to win the tournament for you. And I had a pretty good lead coming to back nine. I kind of made some mistakes, and I'm thinking, you can't blow this tournament for that little girl. I had nothing to do with me winning. Uh, and when I won in the presentation, people couldn't figure out why I was crying. It was just that much of an emotional uh, win for me, knowing how special and how blessed we were to have St. Jude Hospital right there in Memphis. It was two hours from home. I went to school in, in Tennessee, so it was right there. It's kind of, you know, Blair Batson was blessed at it in Jackson as well. But uh, to have that right there, it was just an absolute... Uh, for me, it was my last win, but when you look at the old emotions, it doesn't matter. When I get to walk on that golf course in a month, I'm going to have those feelings again. Uh, and when I walk on the 18th hole, I have those feelings. It's just something I'll never forget. Tour championship was phenomenal, but emotionally and having Thomas and Mary Lyon at the time and healthy, emotionally, that was the biggest one I had, and to me, that meant the most to me. Well, and it's funny, I, I was there that day, that, that Sunday when you won it. I was 14 or 15 years old in, in 95 at, at that point. And the thing that stands out for me, because I wasn't close enough that I could see you crying, they had the jumbo check, didn't they? Wasn't the PGA Tour still doing the oversized checks at that point? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got the big check. I think it sits in the basement, and, and it was so cool. Uh, you know, I got one in Greensboro. Got them. Those were the coolest things. It's like, is this thing really real? You know, and, and, you know, everybody talks about, you know, what was the celebration like? I said it was McDonald's drive through for the kids and on the way to Greenwood. I mean, that was my that was my celebration of winning, you know, the, the, the FedEx tournament, the St. Jude tournament. It was just, all right, we're going to McDonald's, getting Happy Meals. I'm getting a fish sandwich, and we're heading to Greenwood. And, you know, the next day I'm heading to the next event. So, I mean, uh, I remember that every time <laughs> I go to awesome. Memphis, I think about that. So it's just such a, I guess for me, it's emotionally it meant the most to me just because of the whole story with Lindsay. Well, she's healthy and, and has the kids now, and it's a, it's a phenomenal story. Not because I was there, it's just because of her. And, and, and the cool part, I know I'm getting long-winded on this, but the PGA Tour and Disney flew her down, and her family down for the Disney tournament, and they got to go to Disney World, and we hosted inside the PGA Tour with them down there. So 
uh, Delta flew us down. It was just the coolest thing, all because of that one win. And I'll never forget telling Bobby Hall that I, before I went out and played, you can't tell a soul, but this is what I've done. And that's it was just a crazy, crazy thing. The good Lord was looking, shining down on both of us that day, for sure. Well, that is, uh, that's very cool. I also remember that winner's check was about $225,000, give or take, and uh, yeah, the right. check's yeah. going to be a little bit bigger in three weeks. Yeah, that's about 10th place now. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, no, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, the tournament is just so, just what they do for the hospital and just the whole, so great for Memphis to be able to have a world golf event. I hate the fact that, you know, I don't know if we're going to have fans there or not, but with, with all that's going on, but it's going to be a phenomenal tournament. It's going to have a phenomenal field. Uh, and it, it ought to be fun, uh, to, to be back part and walking and being out there and, and and that's the cool part of being a walking announcer is you still feel like you're out there playing. And you get to, re- you, I'll relive those shots, even though the greens are Bermuda now. I'll relive it almost every time I go out there to the Southland, and I get to relive that again in about three or four weeks. Well, there aren't many people on the face of the earth that uh, that can have that experience, to go back to a place where uh, where they won a PGA Tour event. Pretty cool that you're going to be able to do that. Jim, always appreciate your time, my friend. Good visiting with you today. All right, buddy. Next time I'll call you, but we'll have to have probably have a three-year-old with us. That's all right. I might bring my uh, my seven-year-old as well. We'll have a crowd. Perfect. They go chase frogs and uh, all that good stuff at Waverly. All right. Appreciate you having me on. Jim Gallagher, Jr. on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be right back. Completely random question for you. Completely. All right. In terms of SEC football teams, which teams are you okay with wearing alternate uniforms? And which teams should never move away from their traditional? I'll tell you the reason I'm asking that. I watched some of Tennessee and Alabama last night. And obviously it was home game for Alabama, so they were in their crimson with white pants. But Tennessee was in there all white. The white jerseys with the white pants, with the white helmets, with the orange tee on it. And I just flipped on SEC Network, and Tennessee is in their traditional home uniforms. Orange jerseys, white pants, white helmets, black shoes. That's what Tennessee's supposed to look like on the football field. That all gray crap that they wear, uh-uh. on the occasion when they decide we're going to go orange tops and orange pants, gross. Do your orange jerseys with white pants or do the all-white unis at Tennessee. Now they're playing South Carolina, and I, I don't know what South Carolina's look supposed to I I feel like year in and year out, South Carolina might have the worst uniforms of anybody. Garnet and black, just bad color combination. Yeah, not good. It's just bad. So is there an SEC team that you're okay with going alternate uniform? All 14. I'm, I am so pro-alternate uniform. I mean, Ohio State's turned out some really good ones lately. and you want to They've about, turned out some bad ones, too, because oh, their yeah. traditionals are so good. Yeah. I mean, you, you swing and you miss sometimes, for sure. Like, Alabama did those um, um, houndstooth collars, and that was abysmal. But I appreciate the effort. I mean, through Ohio State's uniform mistakes, they have come out with some really 
awesome looking alternate uniforms and it it helps you with recruiting also but i like people mixing it i don't up think some. it does i don't really think well, it does it gives you a reason for a player to retweet you you know it just it okay. keeps you on their mind it, there you go that kind of deal uh clearly when you look at uh, the recruiting pictures of, of guys that are considering Ole Miss, for example, since they have the alternate powder blue and they did the white last year, the recruits are gravitating towards the unusual. And if I was a... All right, a, all right so let's talk about Ole Miss's alternate uniforms. For say, if, if we're going to say they're traditional, are the gray pants, silver pants, however you want to describe them, with the red and blue stripe, with either the white jersey or I guess the red or the navy jersey. With Navy hat. That's their traditional. I like the the lighter blue helmet. Of the new concepts that they've rolled out, the all-white, to me, is pretty sharp. It's a pretty good look. Yeah, people were like, oh, but it looks like Wisconsin. So? Wisconsin's got a good look. And you made it better because that W's too big and cartoony. The script Ole Miss looks better than Wisconsin's helmet. So go for it. Um, the abomination that they wore the all navy a few years ago was disgusting. The navy blue pants that had like rebels written out on the legs with the blue jerseys that was just gross, just gross. Um, Mississippi State they've gone with a bunch of different combinations, right? They've done some all-white. They've done some maroon tops with white pants. They've done the, I think, Mississippi State's best-looking uniform right now is the uh, the silver pant with the maroon tops. Oh, you're crazy. Stormtrooper whites for me. You like the, the all-white? Oh, I love anybody. Any all-white look, I think, is the best look for almost everybody. It's just so clean. Uh, I love when Florida wears the white helmets. It's a really good look. With the blue F trimmed in orange on the side. LSU occasionally will do all white. Not very often, though. I think that's a good look as well. I mean, you- yeah, the, the, the white helmets that LSU rolls out occasionally are pretty sweet. Don't give me an alternate in Georgia. I don't want it. I like the black, black tops. They yeah, the, yeah, the black jerseys are not bad. What was the, Don't give me an alternate at Alabama. Don't give me an alternate at Auburn. Auburn's tra- traditionals are so good. Did you Do you remember that? I think it was when they were playing Boise State in Atlanta, and Georgia wore these helmets. They were like this off-silver helmet with a massive red helmet stripe. The single ugliest helmet in the SEC in like a decade, and that includes Missouri. If you don't remember, Google it up. It, it is yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pull it up. Uh, Georgia football alternate helmets. And Also, you want to talk about bad. Uh, the time Florida wore those blue tops with one of the shoulders just being solid orange for some reason. Yeah, those are bad, and then the uh, the Florida um, the green uniforms that are supposed to make them look like alligators. Those were gross. 
Those were gross. I I don't know if Kentucky has a traditional uniform anymore. I feel like all Kentucky wears is alternate uniforms. So I don't really know what to uh, classify there. Same thing with Missouri. I, I, there's basically nothing traditional about their look. Arkansas and the anthracite, the kind of gray? Nah. Nah. Arkansas needs an entire rebrand. Like, I talked about this on the Sunday show. Like At least uh, when you're talking about the Washington Redskins or R-Words now, um, they need a rebrand. Like It's just the uniforms aren't good, and, and there's a lo- not a lot of fan interest, and it, it's a perfect time for them to rebrand things and make it look modern. Arkansas has got to do the same thing. They need to rebrand everything. The, the font's not good. The uniforms aren't good. The football helmet is not good. I mean, it's just a white... It looks like one of those car stickers. It, that's it. I mean, it's... <laughs> None of it's good. I'm going to I'm gonna disagree thing. with you on the font. Because when you think about Arkansas's, that, that kind of old English style A on their baseball hat, ooh, that's yeah. good. See, that that's on a football real helmet good. would look great on a football helmet. If they put the hog on the side of the football helmet. Yeah, but it's awful. The front-facing hog is pretty good. Nah, I don't know. It's better than the one they put on their helmets. They just need an entire rebrand. So does Missouri. Missouri's everything is not good. Like, the, the Tiger logo's fine, but it has this weird border. And then they just try too hard with their uniforms. Really dial back the colors. Like, the worst uniforms are ones that have multiple colors that pop, save Southern Cal. Otherwise, if you put too much color into your uniform, it's not really going to turn out that well, and they're a prime example. All right, C Spire text line 601-879-4395. At least Arkansas has great baseball uniforms. Yes, I agree. Not wrong there. Um except except for one. The um you know, Nike had that little deal a couple of years ago where they had the alternate color armpits and Arkansas wore them a ton. They were like the solid white with the red armpit jersey. Those were awful. So bad. Especially when you contrast them to the cream that they wear on Sundays. Gross. Gross, gross, gross. Uh, let's see. You're not a big fan, but the Buckeye Silver Helmet has been my favorite for a long time. That's from American Batesville. They're once, real good. Once it fills up with those stickers, it can't be beat. Greg and Nettleton says, those that state wore in the Egg Bowl last year are my fave. Wowie, those helmets. What helmets did we state Egg Bowl last year? It's the first time I felt like we really needed Hey Dad today. Did they go with the Matt helmets for the Egg Bowl last year? Bert says, don't forget the all-gray look that Ole Miss simply could not win while wearing. Yeah, those were horrific. And they gave Bomani Jones a talking point. It's a stupid talking point, but a talking point nonetheless. Yeah, so Mississippi State wore... I can't believe I don't remember this either. Um, It was an all-maroon, but the trim was all gold, including the helmet, with the exception of the face mask. So the helmet logo uh, was gold, but the face mask was not. Gotcha. Uh, David Monticello, which Southern Miss uniform do you prefer? I love the yellow they've been wearing recently. With the black pants? Yeah. I said that on Twitter during football season. There are a few Southern Miss fans that uh, told me that 
I have a terrible taste in uniforms, so maybe it's not consensus with the fans, but I loved it at the time. My favorite Southern Miss uniform is actually a road uniform. The white jersey with the black pants and the black helmet. To me, that's a strong look. That's just me, though. That throwback helmet was pretty sick, too, when they wore the all yellow. I'm remembering this now. They wore all yellow with the old USM logo. That was like It's like a diamond shape, if you will. That was yeah. a good night. Jeff says Maryland has the worst uniforms. LSU alternates are incredible. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Fun story on uh, ESPN.com. It's under the College Football tab, written by David Hale. It's a story about college football's top quarterback-coach combinations. But to get to the list... David Hale writes about Mike Leach and K.J. Costello. Here's how the story starts. With years of reimagining offenses in college football under his belt, Mike Leach has coached a lot of big-time quarterbacks. He's produced superstars such as Graham Harrell and Cliff Kingsbury. Under-the-radar transfers have turned into record setters like Gardner Minshew and Anthony Gordon. In all, he's had 12 seasons of college quarterbacks throwing for at least 4,000 yards. Something he's never had, though? Quarterback with the natural talent of K.J. Costello, the number 2 overall quarterback recruit from 2016, and a guy many peg as a future NFL pick. Some of the quotes from Leach about Costello. It's hard to gauge, but he's got one of the best arms I've ever coached. When asked how his formula of letting guys go in a wide-open offense is going to work? It's hard to tell because we haven't had a chance to practice yet. The big thing is everybody getting to know the personnel, building the rapport with the receivers, and just working on muscle memory when they run a route. I think about how... Hey, Coach, how do you feel about your quarterback? I don't really know. We haven't practiced yet. It's July. You had the sprint. Yep. No, well, he's still in practice. That's where you are right now. I appreciate the honesty. He could have given coach speak or whatever, but that's not really his style. Yeah, not really his style. Uh, Costello has played against Mike Leach a couple of times when he was at Stanford against Washington State. Uh, Mike Leach recruited a handful of players out of Santa Margarita High School where Costello played. And apparently the two have meshed pretty well so far. Leach said, I th- says, I think he transitions well. He's kind of a statuesque guy. But he throws the ball really well. He's smart, and I think he was excited about the change himself. So, interesting quarterback-coach combination to watch there. And Mike Leach and K.J. Costello in the one and only season that they will have together. These are the other five that David Hale lists as the top quarterback-coach combos in college football. Dabo and Trevor. He says, funny thing is, they don't have much in common. Swinney embraces the role of plucky overachiever, whereas Lawrence has been a superstar since he was 14. Swinney has a Clark Griswold dad vibe, while Lawrence, with his long blonde hair, stands out in any crowd. Swinney is an outspoken salesman. Lawrence embraces a quiet, private demeanor. But they've won a bunch together. 
Ryan Day at Ohio State along with Justin Fields. Tom Herman at Texas alongside his quarterback Sam Ellinger. I don't think you could have put anybody else in this order, but I do think he may end up being a great coach. In fact, a lot of people think he's going to be, and I don't really have a counter to it other than we haven't seen it. Ryan Day, I mean, I've seen lists where Ryan Day is already a top five coach in college football. And it's like, last year he was given a Ferrari and was asked to race against pickup trucks. Like, of course he's going to win. He could sustain it. He's recruiting very well. I'm sure he's a great football coach and will be one. But are we not giving him way too much credit for taking over a program that was built to win with a roster that was built to win and a schedule that helped you win? I mean, I just... And he won. And he won, to his credit. You've got to win the games that are in front of you. But man, we're putting so much stock into one year where he was, again, handed the keys to a Ferrari... Racing against a bunch of pickup trucks in the Big Ten. Speaking of the Big Ten, P.J. Fleck and Tanner Morgan put in here together. Says somewhere along the line last season, row the boat transitioned to throw the ball, and it worked out beautifully for the Gophers. Fleck's offense gelled behind Tanner Morgan, who upended the traditional run-heavy attack in the Big Ten to produce the league's first-ever pair of 1,000-yard receivers. How about that? First time in Big Ten history that you've had a pair of 1,000-yard receivers. That at Minnesota? It's not what it says. It says in the Big Ten to produce the league's first ever pair of 1,000-yard receivers. Yeah. Wow. And Rashad Bateman, one of those two that caught for 1,000 yards last year, is back. And then... Jimbo and Kellen Mond. It says, for years there was no better quarterback whisperer in the country than Fisher, who turned Jamarcus Russell, Christian Ponder, E.J. Manuel, and Jameis Winston into first-round draft picks. Struggles in his final years at Florida State took, uh, shook that reputation a bit, but he seems to have found his next great protege in Mond who in the last two years has accounted for 59 touchdowns and almost 7,000 yards passing. Sports Talk Mississippi, college football fix, coming your way next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon, the 7th of July. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey. Rolling into the 5 o'clock hour, Brian Haydad is out today. Seaspire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but Seaspire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it said. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, period. Unlimited talk and text, 10 gigabytes of high-speed data, $45 with auto pay and paperless billing, Without auto pay, it's only $50 a month. So, how's that for fine print? No bull. That's the real deal. Switch today at cspire.com slash real deal. Time right now for the college football fix. The college football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buy Ford now. 
Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. So, we got another All-SEC list that is out for the college football season that we hope is going to happen. Uh, We had the one from the uh, media relations directors that uh, was last week. Hey, by the way, as an aside, SEC Network showing a bunch of football games right now, and I'm here for it. Mississippi State against Texas A&M. Uh, may not want to look at the result. That's fine. That was a great-looking uniform that Mississippi State was wearing. I would forgotten about that. The white jerseys with the gray pants, with the maroon helmets, that's Mississippi State's best look for my money. Just my opinion. You you may have one that's altogether different. That's my favorite Mississippi State uniform, though. And there's really not a close second. So. All right. Sports Illustrated preseason all SEC. Kyle Trask is the quarterback. That's two in two weeks. That might be what you get across the board. Think so? Unless somebody just wants to be creative, but that might be it. Najee Harris at running back. Only one running back on this team. Two wide receivers, Javar, uh, Jamar Chase from LSU and Devontae Smith from Alabama. Third wide receiver, got a tie there. Jalen Waddell from Alabama and George Pickens from Georgia. Two pretty good ones also. Kyle Pitts from Florida, the tight end. Alex Leatherwood from Alabama is one of the offensive linemen. He is joined by Trey Smith, Darian Kennard from Kentucky, Landon Dickerson from Alabama, and Trey Hill from Georgia. On the defensive side, first team. Defensive lineman, Tyler Shelvin at LSU, Big Cat Bryant at Auburn, LeBron Ray at Alabama, Dylan Moses at Alabama. I'm sorry, those are three defensive linemen. Yet three linebackers as well. Dylan Moses from Alabama, K.J. Britt from Auburn, and Nick Bolton from Missouri. Defensive backs, got some ties also. Uh, Patrick Sertain from Alabama, Richard LeCount at Georgia, Derek Stingley at LSU. Jacoby Stevens from LSU. And then Kyir Elam from Florida, Eric Stokes, Georgia, J.C. Horn from South Carolina, all tied. Even with the tie, like, eliminate that, that's still five defensive backs. What kind of defense are we running here? A nickel? 3-3-5, man. That's exactly what they went with. Three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and five DBs. You'll see that in Starkville this year. All-purpose offensive player, first team, Jerrion Ely. It's the second time I've seen that. I picked up Lindy's the other day. and it, So Ely was not listed on, on any of the first, second, or third team running back, but he was second team all-purpose. Jalen Waddle was first team all-purpose back, and I'm sure that Ole Miss is fine with their players getting selected second team all-SEC, at least preseason. But where is this all-purpose thing coming from? I, I know he can catch the ball out of the backfield, but he's a true running back. Don't confuse ability to catch the football out of the backfield with not a true running back. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was excellent mm. at catching the ball out of, back, out of the backfield. He's a true running back. 
Don't you think it would be because of kick return stuff? I guess. Because, I mean, that's what, I mean, Waddle's a wide receiver, but then also returns kicks. But they have kick returner listed down here, and he's on that, too. Yeah. So it just, I mean, again, it's fine. I just, I found that so odd because he's a running back, and that's how he's going to be used. He can catch the ball. He can be used in the pass game, but that's kind of what modern football is. That's why um, the Boston College running back, whose name's really escaping me right now, um, got picked by the Packers. That was the biggest huh moment about the draft, at least in the later rounds, was why is Green Bay picking a running back that doesn't catch the ball out of the backfield? There, there's just no use for those guys anymore. That's kind of what the offense has evolved into. Yeah. Special teams, Brent Samaglia, the kicker from Tennessee, Max Duffy, the punter from Kentucky, Jalen Waddle, both the kick returner and the punt returner. Second team offense, quarterback Jamie Newman from Georgia, Kylan Hill from Mississippi State, a couple of wide receivers, Seth Williams from Auburn, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. We mentioned it, the, the last time we did this, it'll be Najee Harris and Kylan Hill on everything as well. I think Kyle Trask will be number one on everything. And those two running backs will be one and two on everything, and and the only oh, the only difference will be if it's a, a first or second team that has only one running back. You're generally going to see Najee Harris first team and yeah. Kylan Hill second team, and if it's one that does two first team running backs, two second team running backs, then you'll see both of them on the first team and then two more on the second team. Yep. And it is good to see Elijah Moore get uh, credit. Most people only know him for uh, the whole dog pee celebration thing. But in a bad offense, he quietly had another really good year. I mean, he's a, he's a dynamic playmaker, and he showed you that he's a dynamic playmaker in an offense that didn't really set up dynamic playmakers anywhere else besides running back and quarterback. Wide receivers weren't really used that well, and he still found a way to have a really good season but everybody only knows him for the one thing, when in reality, he can really play. So for Mississippi State, nobody on the first-team offense or defense? That's right. And on the second team, you've got Kylan Hill as the running back, and I think that's it. That's also correct. Elijah Moore is a wide receiver for Ole Miss. You've also got uh, Jerry Ely listed as the second team kick returner. So not not a lot of representation from either Mississippi State or Ole Miss on these preseason All SEC teams. And I don't think you're going to see much of that going forward. To be perfectly honest, at least not immediately. You got to recruit better. I mean, it's it's not rocket science. The, the teams that recruit the best have the players that appear on these lists more often than the teams that don't. Going back to the uh, list of quarterback and coach com- uh, combos, kind of the honorable mention are Mac Brown at North Carolina, along with Sam Howell. So when the oldest coach in the Power Five who'd ended his tenure at Texas amid a host of quarterback criticisms takes a new job after five years away from coaching and starts a true freshman quarterback in week one, well, those stories don't usually have happy endings. Turns out, though, the veteran coach and freshman QB matched up perfectly. 
Brown instantly turned around a listless North Carolina program from 2019, while Howell quickly adapted to the college game and finished with 3,641 passing yards and 38 touchdowns. And a loss to Appalachian State. In a Phil Longo offense, it's an offense that is going to allow a quarterback to put up mega numbers. But beyond that, they're pretty good. He's got North Carolina was pretty good. And he's made it cool. The old guy somehow has made it cool, but North Carolina is a thing again. They're somehow yeah. popping up in all these recruits' top five lists, and, and their commitment list is very good in its own right. But they're a, I don't want to I'll call tell them you a why. national brand, but they're working on it. You know what wins, Borky? Genuine and real wins. And I've, I've got some friends who have worked in places where Mac Brown has worked before, and they say there's nobody that's more genuine. He's cool, comfortable in his own skin, just a real guy. And has kind of the would absolutely do anything for anyone attitude. And newsflash, even for 17-year-old, sometimes immature kids, they can usually spot somebody that's real. I think that's what it is. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be right back. Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad is out today. Thank you for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. Trying to see if there's anything there. You got some interesting debates that are going on, Borky, between you and Ceasefire Text Linders. One in particular is just the most fascinating person I've ever encountered. This individual, uh, they're calling me man. They're saved in the system as a, as a woman's name, although I guess assuming gender is also bad in 2020. Um, but they, they originally started by saying, isn't it weird that nobody knows of any one person with COVID-19? And then they went on to say Trump 2020. And I say, I know of somebody who died from COVID-19. And they said, it's another Democrat Muslim stunt. And then they asked if it was a car wreck. And I said, no, it was because of coronavirus. <laughs> and then they said, that's what hospitals are getting paid to say. Come on. And I said, well, the Republican Speaker of the House and the Republican Lieutenant Governor both now have COVID-19. And they said, exactly. And then I asked, so hospitals are getting paid to say Delbert Hoseman has COVID-19? And they replied and said, no, he is. Look, man, they've got plans. You need to wake up. And I said, you think Delbert is getting paid to say he has coronavirus? And they replied, they all go to the same Christmas party. 
Yes, I know so. Um, (laughs) This is so much fun. I mean, either this person knows a lot and has got the serious goods or something else. I lean in the uh, direction of something else. Uh, But let's lean in this direction for now. ESPN story from college football. As the number of COVID cases continues to climb throughout the country, the level of concern among college football's decision makers has risen too. However, however, um, nobody from a Power 5 league is ready to go on record yet. I think we still are looking at August 1st. August 3rd, I think, is the first Monday in the month of August. I think that's the day that uh, you're going to get the... Here's what the plan is. Yeah, I kind of got to make a decision by then. Here's some quotes from the story. We said from the onset of this pandemic that circumstances around the virus would guide our decision-making, and it is clear recent developments related to COVID-19 have not been trending in the right direction. I'll let you guess, by the way, who said that. Used a lot of words. A lot of big words. That was Greg Sankey. Yep. He went on to say there are more important decisions to be made in the coming weeks, and by late July there should be more clarity about the fall season In the meantime, our athletics programs will continue to effectively manage the health and safety of our student-athletes as they continue voluntary activities on their respective campuses. I saw somebody suggest today that basically the country has three weeks for the positive cases and stuff to go down or else college football will be compromised in some way. Now, we've expected it to be compromised at least in in some way with attendance and whatnot, but I mean that's really what it boils down to is – Got three or so weeks, ah, four weeks, and that will be it. That's our window now. West Virginia Athletic Director Shane Lyons, who is chair of the Football Oversight Committee, and he helped spearhead the NCAA-approved return uh, six-week return plan that was approved last month, says moving forward will have to be a campus-to-campus decision. He said this, For us in college sports and sports in general, it's not trending the way we were hoping it would. Yeah. I hear you, Shane. Mike Oresco of the American Athletic Conference, commissioner there, says, quote, I'm still not of the mind to say, gee, we shouldn't do this, or we should throw in the towel. But on the other hand, am I less confident than I was maybe a week ago? Absolutely. I don't think there's any way you wouldn't be. And then Oresco got to maybe the meat of it. Key is going to be if our students return to campuses. It's very unlikely that we would play fall sports. Highly unlikely we would play fall sports if we didn't have our students back on campus. Our presidents and chancellors didn't feel it was safe to have our students on campus. Very hard to see college sports happening in the fall. And then an FBS uh, commissioner who spoke on the condition of anonymity. 
I'm very concerned. For so long, we've been saying we had time and things were going to change, and we were very hopeful. I'm still hopeful that we have college football. I'm just more pessimistic that we won't have it on time. I don't see us starting on time at this point. One day I thought, I better look at the calendar, because I felt like it was March 11th again. Hmm. That's pretty straightforward and pretty candid comments by some of the leaders in college athletics. Nobody's coming out and saying, we're not going to do it in the fall, or we're going to delay. Here would be a question that I would have. Borky, if you can't start on the weekend of September 5th, which is feeling less and less likely, Do you have to make a decision of we're either going to play in the spring or can you say, we can't start right now, but we feel like maybe this thing is starting to move in the right direction. And so we're going to push back a month to the first Saturday in the month of October. We got to figure out the scheduling and we may have to drop some non-conference games and we may have to move some things around and push some stuff back. But we're not ready to cancel the season and we're not ready yet to push it to the spring. So we're just going to press pause for a month. You think that's a possibility? And then if you get to September 15th or September 1st or whatever, and you realize it's not going in the right direction, maybe then you say, this isn't going to work. we got to give ourselves three months, four months, whatever, and we're going to circle back and plan to play in January or February, but we got to have football. All right. Hey, we we got to say something again because it hadn't been said in a while. Because people are going, well, what about basketball? Well, what about baseball? Can you play football and basketball and baseball in the spring all at the same time? You want to hear the uh, unvarnished truth? It doesn't matter if you think you can or cannot play all three at the same time. Because if you can only play one, Guess what's getting played in the spring? I'll give you two guesses, but only one of them counts. You know I'm a college baseball guy. You know I love college basketball. Those are the two sports that I broadcast on television for ESPN and the SEC Network. Guess which sport, if you can only play one is going to be played in the spring. It's the one that pays the bills for everybody else. And that's football. Oh, but Richard, basketball makes money. Yeah, like like real money? Like a million five a year or something like that. Yeah, in terms of basketball makes real money, it does at like six places. At Kentucky, at Kansas, at Louisville, North Carolina, Duke, there are a few places that where it makes, I mean, and th- those are the places where it makes twenty five million. 
handful of places where it makes four or five million, eight million. But to Borky's point, those places, it's in the black. Makes a million and a half, makes a couple of million, supports itself, probably supports a couple of other programs. Football supports everybody. And so if there have to be choices made of, well, can we play baseball? Can we play basketball? Can, yeah, yeah, We're going to do our best to play them all. But you know who's at the front of the line, just so we're clear. Whenever it is that football can be played, it will be played, and they'll figure everything else out afterwards. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky with you on this Tuesday. So what do you make of the story that we were talking about a second ago, the ESPN story about college football and its return? I just hope that things get better in the next few weeks. (laughs) That's all I can think of is... I know we had somebody tweet at us and talk about the death rate. Yeah, the death rate is way, way, way down, but that's that's simply just not enough to alter the thinking. I mean, some I saw a, a national sports writer, the, the head of college football at The Athletic, say that Notre Dame so far is the only successful bubble because they've had no positive cases. Well, Michigan's only had two, and they've had hundreds of tests so far and only had two positives. That would be a a successful bubble as well. So the, the rhetoric around it, I think, is is disingenuous to the point of, of the guy tweeting in, but you are not going to, at this current pace, have college administrators and athletic directors and even coaches put a team on the field right now. There's just no possible way you're going to let that happen because campuses are not going to be open if things continue on this trajectory. So even though death rate is way down and it's always been – a minuscule number for those that are 24 and younger. If we continue on this path and it doesn't get better, it's not happening regardless of what the death rate numbers say. It's just not, it it simply is not going to. So things have to, this upward trajectory that we're on in case number has to at least level off before we can actually talk about football really happening on time. I agree with you. Like in... I'm not sure that I agree that that is the right plan of action, but I agree that that will be the plan of action. Yeah. Kind of, I mean, it's like, I go back and forth. I mean, there's part of me that says, this is just something that we now have to learn to live with. There's no guarantee that there's a vaccine coming in November or in February or even by next July. Maybe it will. If we get a vaccine in November, people going to line up to take it right away? I, I don't know. I will not, and I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm not taking a rushed vaccine when it's something that the the likelihood of me being actually, the likelihood of me showing symptoms if I have it, is so small that I'm not taking a vaccine to stop me from getting it when I know that it probably is not going to harm me 
maybe that's selfish, but I'm not doing it right away. No, I understand that. But I, I guess that's what I was getting at was, is there a part of us where we go, just got to learn to live with it. You're going to have to wear a mask in public. You're tired of it. I'm tired of it. We're all tired of it. I get it. It's just going to be a thing for a while. Like maybe a couple of years. But kids have got to go back to school. I don't know what the plans are all over the state of Mississippi. I think the State Department of Education approved three different options. They have approved plans for in-school learning, a hybrid environment where it's part of the time in school, part of the time virtual, and virtual. Where I live, as of first week of July, the Oxford School District has plans to begin school on August 10th, and they are giving parents the option of your kid can go to school every day or you can do virtual learning, one or the other. And they got to wear masks to school, and once you get past sixth grade, I think they've got to wear... you got to have a mask anywhere you can't social distance. So basically, you got to wear them all day in the classroom, in the hallways, and in the younger grades, you got to wear a mask until you get to your classroom, and then you can take them off in that environment. Because they realize that asking kindergartners up through sixth graders to keep a mask on all day, no good. But there's stuff they're still trying to figure out, too. Right? I mean, staff members are going to have to wear masks all the time. Apparently, school lunches and breakfasts are going to be served in the classroom, which I think is really hard, right? I mean, part of part of the school day and the reason that it works is because you move around and you're not in the same place all the time. There are things they're having to do to take into account for that. I don't know what recess is going to look like and PE and music and all that good stuff. I mean, Borky, isn't it hard to wrap your mind around the idea of a kid going to a classroom and staying there from, you know, 7.45 in the morning to 2.45 in the afternoon? Yeah, I mean, good luck. And God bless the teachers who oh, yeah. have got to try and manage that. I don't tell you all that to bore you. I only say that to say that it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. But I applaud. I'm talking about the Oxford School District because that's where it's where I live and it's where my kids go to school. I don't know what everybody else's plans are. But I applaud the fact that they're saying our kids have got to actually go to school. Yes, there are some parents who think that it's too soon and, you know, the world's going to come to an end if we send kids who don't get infected by coronavirus to school. Okay, some of you are are freak shows. Some of you have valid concerns. But I appreciate that the, the school board is at least looking at this and going, kids need to be in school. For parents who aren't completely wigging out about it, we need to give them the option to let their kids be in school. Now, you're probably not going to like every single policy that's in place. And the but this is how we feel like we can do it safely. Right, and the transmission from kids to adults is minuscule at best. Like, it doesn't really happen. Yeah. Mike in Oxford says, Today the Florida Department of Education ordered all schools to open 
for face-to-face teaching in August. Okay? John in Starkville says, we may lose a generation of learned students because of this. Two or three years without that teacher to guide their education is going to hurt a lot of students. I agree with you. John, I so, so agree with you. You can't afford for kids not to be in school. My biggest fear, too, is habit forming. What do people get used to being at home? and alter the way that they go about that aspect of life. If they're not, I say dependent, but if you've got kids that are locked up for a year, they don't really care to socialize anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many benefits. I mean, school's not just about reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's about social social interaction. It's about extracurricular activities. It's about learning how to deal with tough situations. Paula says, I will take the vaccine the day they say a 64-year-old woman can take it. Okay? Here's the order that uh, Mike sent it to us from uh, from Tallahassee.com. Florida schools mandated to reopen in August. Florida Education Commissioner said so today. All school boards and charter school governing boards must open brick-and-mortar schools in August at least five days per week for all students. Local health officials can override the commissioner's directive if it's not safe to open schools due to COVID-19, but Monday's announcement makes it clear that the districts have to prepare to open their doors to all students in August. So common sense will be allowed to prevail if necessary. Richard M. Wiggins says small private schools are going to be different. He said, I've thought about offering a scholarship to my son's school. Probably will. Not a gift from me recognizing it's God's money. Good for you, Richard. There's going to be a little more flexibility in smaller private schools than in larger public schools. And it's going to be important. It's kind of a lot of words to say nothing's going to look the same. Whether it's football or fifth grade. You know, football is not the only fall sport that's having to deal with this either, right? I mean... Yes, it's obviously the one that pays the bills for everyone, and it's the one that all the coaches of other sports are concerned about as well. We need football to get the go-ahead so we can figure out if we're playing field hockey. If we're going to have a soccer season in the fall. If we're going to have a volleyball season in the fall. Those are sports that are affected by it as well.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.